Hey, this is Nate with Purity for Life. This is the third episode in our series, A Vision of Jesus. I think we've all had experiences where someone did something or said something that hurt us, but then it turned out to actually be the best thing for us. And we call that tough love because it is love. The Lord speaks to us softly a lot, but then for me, when I fail to hear him, he gets out the Louisville Slugger. It's a Louisville Slugger of love, and it gets my attention. And God was kind enough to risk me getting upset with him. (laughs) Real love is willing to feel like the bad guy for a while if it has to, and the Lord is certainly willing to do that for all of us. In today's show, Dave Leopold looks at a couple of instances where Jesus treated someone in a way that may have seemed cruel, but in fact, it was the best thing for them. And so it is with us. He does whatever he knows is best for us because he is full of grace and truth. Stay with us. been trying to think um, each meeting of a way to sum up what we've been saying, just to keep it simple in our mind, not get too complicated about it. So I want to say it in another way, that God is that consuming fire of love And that love comes to us in different forms. Um, Maybe you remember Peter when Jesus asked, who do you think I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know, thou art Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I'll build my church. Probably not Peter, but on the, what he was saying, the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, and wow, that was a really, that probably gave Peter a really warm feeling, don't you think? <laughs> so warm that just about a chapter or two later, the Lord is having to say, get behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Because Peter had told Jesus, no, this, this is not going to happen to you. It's not going to be like that. No, 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 stop saying that stuff. Jesus wasn't saying that to Peter because he was losing it. God never loses it, okay? I know that there are things that he allows himself to be portrayed a certain way in the Old Testament. Jesus did say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I know God allowed that. He's very lowly. For a reason, he did. But love comes to us in different forms, just like it did to Peter. And sometimes when we get enough warm feelings (laughs) that we start to tell God what to do, which we tend to do in our lives at times, or think, then he says something like, 
Get behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Man, you can tell what uh, translation I memorized all my scripture in, can't you? <laughs> Many of us here, um, at times we, we have God's love coming to us in a way that's a bit uncomfortable. I'm sure that stung Peter, but it was the same love. And some of you are in a time of life when it's very, very, very important for you, and it is for me often as well, to recognize the love of God um, that we wouldn't maybe have chosen to recognize when the Lord is speaking to us in a way that hurts a little bit. Sometimes the Lord speaks to us softly a lot, but then for me, when I fail to hear him, he gets out the Louisville slugger. It's a Louisville slugger of love. And it gets my attention. And that's what it took. And God was kind enough to risk me getting upset with him. <laughs> you know, that's what real love does. We heard that from Nate the other night. Real love is willing to feel like the bad guy for a while if it has to. And the Lord is certainly willing to do that for all of us. You know, sometimes we... We think God is like us, only bigger. But the Lord isn't at all like us. In Ezekiel, two or three times, the Lord asks this question when he's begging them to repent of their sins. Or, this is what's going to happen if you don't repent of your sins. And it was pretty sobering what was going to happen. And he said to them, do I have any pleasure at all in the death of the wicked? Twice he asked them, do I have any pleasure at all? Won't you please turn? And then finally at the end of, might be chapter 20 or 22, he, he states it as a fact. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So turn yourselves and live now, the difference between us and God in that way is that we are able to have pleasure in other people's pain who cause us pain, aren't we? We're able to do that. If somebody causes you pain, you're able to have pleasure in giving it back. That's why the Lord said, vengeance is mine. He didn't say it because he wants all the fun of causing people pain. He said it to protect us because he knows we, we cannot handle that. We will do it wrong. He's the only one in the universe who can deal out just punishment in the right spirit. We will always get it wrong. So to protect us, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. Okay, you just... Focus on loving your, your neighbor as yourself, okay? That's what you can handle. 
I think I'm going to read about one or two ladies tonight from the Bible. John chapter 4. And this, you know, this, there's a lot of scripture to read in this first one, but I just can't see any way around it. The second one is rather short if we get there. I think I'll read the account. Now, I know most of you are familiar with it, but just in case someone isn't familiar with it or you've never even read it, I think I want to read it. So just bear with me. I'll read it to you. I'll start with John chapter 4, verse 5. This is a Samaritan woman that he's going to be talking to. And the background of this, which you, most of you all also know, but uh, there, there was a three or four thousand year background of this uh, altogether, and the Samaritans not quite that long, but there was a long background and the Jews didn't talk to them. They didn't mix much with the Gentiles, and it, it wasn't a bad reason initially, but the human beings, they, it was to protect them initially. God wouldn't let them mix too much because they picked up their idolatry. But of course, they turned that into self-righteousness. And then it was all about, I'm better than you. Because that's what all human beings do, not just Jews. If God would have chosen us as his people, we would have done exactly the same thing. So don't be too tough on the Jews. So they didn't have any dealings with them, and they didn't talk to them. The disciples would not talk to a Samaritan. They were even a worse-class Gentile. It's too complicated, so if just take my word for it, <laughs> exactly what was going on here. But we'll start reading in verse 5. Then they came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, or around noon. And there came a woman of the cities of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, and I'm a woman of Samaria? You Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. Now, most of us know how well Jesus answers the question that people ask. He doesn't, most of the time. <laughs> and this is no exception. He answers the question that we need. And so she asked him, you know, why are you talking to me? You're not supposed to be doing that. And he answered and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. <laughs> the woman said to him, she's like us. She's a little slow about spiritual things. Sir... You don't even have anything to draw with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? You'd expect him to say, yep. (laughs) (laughs) But again, Jesus doesn't really answer the question exactly, does he? He said unto her, whoever drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But that water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I don't thirst anymore and I don't have to come here to draw. It's a little slow. And Jesus said to her, Go call your husband. And come here. And the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, You've well said, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. So in that you said truly. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, and I know you know this too, but you know, if, if I were to say to one of you ladies after the meeting, woman, it would be kind of like, wow, that's not very nice, that's not polite, but this was different in this culture. This was not a disrespectful Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't even know. We know what we worship for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship Him. God is a spirit And those that worship him have to worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, Well, I know that Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us everything. And Jesus said to her, I that speak unto you am he. (laughs) Upon this, his disciples came and they were marveling that he was talking with this woman. Yet none of them said, what are you talking about? You know, what are you talking to her for? And the woman left her water pot and went away into the city and said to the men, come and see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Isn't this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and they came to him. Now I'm just going to skip over to the last few verses here, starting with verse 39. This is how the account ended. This is how it ended. I want us to keep this in mind. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come to him, they besought him that he would stay with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And they said to the woman, now we're believing not because of what you said, 
But we've heard it for ourselves, and we know he, this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. <laughs> so this seems to be a little bit, at least for the disciples, a bit, bit of unplanned evangelism. I was thinking about this and what this might have been like if the disciples hadn't gone to get food. You know, I know they went to get food, and I, I just kind of have this feeling that maybe Jesus did that on purpose uh, because he had something he needed to do and it was going to be maybe more difficult with the disciples around. And so anyway, uh, they went to get some food. And at that point, Jesus went into action. What if... Now, I'm not picking on Peter, okay? I know it seems like I am probably... I love Peter, and I've learned more from him than almost anybody else in the Bible, so I really love and appreciate Peter. I'm talking about him because he's taught me so much, and I've learned so much from him. But what if Peter would have approached this woman? You know, some people will say, and there is truth to it, that every encounter with God in any way is confrontational. And there's truth to that for the reasons we were talking about the other night, because God is a refining fire. If you have contact with a refining fire, even if it's smiling at you, it's hot. <laughs> you know? So you have to be careful. He is that son. But how he approached this woman, he knew she was a sinner. He knew he had to bring her to the place where she faced her sin and she was going to have to repent of it. He, you have to come there. You have to come there. Jesus knew she had to come there. If she was going to drink living water, he knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> he did it in such a graceful way. He approached the truth to this woman in such an incredibly graceful way. <sighs> okay, Peter. What if it would have been Peter? Well, first of all, it wouldn't be Peter because he wouldn't even talk to her. But let's just say he would. <laughs> you Samaritans are so proud because you have Jacob's well. Woohoo! Big deal. What is a bunch of water going to do to you? Don't you know you have to worship God in spirit and truth? And I'll bet anything you've been sleeping around. All would have been true. All of it would have been true. But Jesus, <laughs> he knew how to do this. And he approached the truth he was going to drill into the situation. And I'll remind you by the end of the story, there was a revival there. Do you think that same revival would have happened if Peter would have got a hold of the Samaritan? <laughs> 
He would have given her the truth. The disciples would have told her the truth, but it wouldn't have had any grace in it. Truth without grace is not God's truth, just like grace without truth is not God's grace. And Jesus was so incredibly graceful to this woman. Instead of all that, really the first thing Jesus said to her, basically, was, do you know that God has a gift for you? God wants to give you a gift. That's kind of how he got her attention. Now, he had to get to the truth, of course, which he did. It's an absolute must. But in getting to the truth, Jesus was extremely benevolent to this woman and he said well if you really want this living water I want you to go get your husband and uh, then you know he did tell her yes thank you for telling me the truth you've had five husbands the one you have now is not your husband now <clears throat> I can't prove it I cannot prove it. But I know this Jesus, and I promise you, he did not say to her like this, yeah, you're right, you had five husbands. Or you, have, you don't have a husband, you've had five. None of them were really yours. And now you have one. You're not even married. Look at you. Yeah, you said the right thing, all right. He wasn't sarcastic. He wasn't pointing the finger at her. He was delivering her the truth with grace, and he was offering her the opportunity to come with her friends and repent. He was actually making it easy for her to repent, offering her the truth. And what happened out of all of that? Well, she gathered the people together in that town, and they saw, all saw and believed. See, Jesus knew this. He knows how to reach people. He knows how to get their attention. They invited him then. I think if it would have been the disciples at this point in their life, now as we said before, they grew, but if it would have been them at this point in their life talking, mustering up the courage to talk to that woman, I don't think anybody would have come back to hear them again. I don't think anybody would have listened to Jesus, and I don't think there would have been a revival in that town. the effect of that confrontation with Jesus was amazing. He told her some very, very straight things. 
He did it in pure love with unselfish reasons. We can't hardly fathom what this was like. We can't see Jesus' face as he sang these things to her. That's right. You've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. That you said truly. We can't see his face. It's a lot like the rich young ruler. If we couldn't have uh, Peter's testimony or whose ever testimony it was that wrote the book of Mark, who said Jesus looked at him lovingly and then told him the truth. We would never maybe know that, but I can promise you, even though I can't prove it, that there was something about the tone of Jesus' voice and the look on his face as he talked to that woman that made her to know that she could go and she could get people from the city and she could bring them back to meet Jesus, that he had living water for them. And I'm, I'm bringing this up just to remind us that we don't have to be, and people that love us usually are not mad when they tell us the truth. God isn't mad at us when he tells us the truth. We can't hear the tone of his voice and the circumstances of our life. Sometimes it feels like uh, it's rough, it's hard, but it's very much like the next woman I want to look at. Um, I don't have any pictures, but she's in the Bible. Um, the Syrophoenician woman. We could ask ourselves, you know, at this point, well, what about the Pharisees? Jesus didn't talk very nice to them. Uh, that's true. You know, the Pharisees left Jesus no choice. Sometimes we leave Jesus no choice but to give us tough love. I've done that throughout my life. I did it especially when I was young. The Pharisees left him no choice but to try to shock them into repentance by telling them the truth in a very startling way. But it didn't have to be that way. It didn't have to. They made it that way. We find out in Acts that a great number of the priests turned to the Lord. Maybe those were some of the guys standing there in Matthew 23 when Jesus told them that they were like whitewashed gravestones. They looked good on the outside, and underneath it was full of nothing but rotting bones. Doesn't sound very sweet, does it? But maybe they were some of the ones that turned to the Lord. There's a time for rebuke, and it can be very good. One of my favorite King James verses ever is when Paul told Titus, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. <laughs> I think that means lazy gluttons. He said, this witness is true, so rebuke them that they will be sound in the faith. 
we have to understand that when we get rebuked by the Lord or by the Lord through someone, the reason is so that we will be sound in the faith. Love comes to us in so many different forms, and it's full of grace and truth. I, I have been in situations in my life where the Lord showed me something that was really important. I wasn't really expecting it. I was in a prayer time, this was years ago, and God showed me something about this group of us. And when I went home, <clears throat> I was actually in a prayer like weekend, when I went home, I, I had been suspicious that there was something wrong, you know, and, and so I finally shared with them what the Lord told me. But by the time I shared it, I had gotten kind of worked up in the flesh, in myself, in pride. And so I, I said the right thing, but I said it in the wrong way. And it ruined it. It absolutely ruined it. And I ended up getting rebuked. Well, that would have happened anyway. But I got greatly rebuked. I knew I heard the Lord, and it, it proved to be true in the, in the end. In the long run, it proved to be true. I realized, wow, God really did speak to me. But I got into the wrong spirit about what God said, because I'm human. Homo sapien. <laughs> This is what we do. But this is not what God does. It's not. God does not have pleasure in being right above someone else. He doesn't take pleasure in causing other people's pain because they hurt him. He just doesn't have that kind of pleasure. We have the ability to be that way. And if we're not careful, we'll be that way a lot. But he asked Ezekiel and then told Ezekiel, no, Ezekiel, I don't have any pleasure in the death or punishment of the wicked. Turn yourselves and live. God pleaded with the children of Israel and pleaded with the children of Israel through the prophets and pleaded. But in the end... They had to receive the rod because they absolutely would not listen. I think the Lord would be so happy. Part of the reason I think this is because I know that with my own children, I would have been so happy if I could have just said, would you please clean your room and you'll get your allowance and everything will be great and we'll be a happy family. One time I told my daughter to go clean her room. She came back in about a half hour and told me she couldn't find it. <laughs> yeah, that really happened. <sighs> now she's got three of her own. <laughs>
the Lord isn't like a man. And you need to understand that, and I need to understand that. He loves us, and his love comes in so many different forms. And I could plead with you to have faith that God loves you and that he's trying to come to you. You know, I wouldn't listen when I was young. I knew about the Lord. I wouldn't listen. I was determined to go my own way. I did. I did all the wrong things. And finally, I had to go through tremendous rebukes and troubles that finally brought me back to the Lord. But it wouldn't have had to have been that way. It wouldn't have had to. And I just, you know, to this day, I know there's times when I'm not listening very carefully, and the Lord allows something to startle me and wake me up that's not quite as comfortable as the still, small voice. I guess I'm asking... (laughs) All of us, really, maybe especially some of you whose lives are in crisis. But all of us, please, don't don't make it harder on yourself than it has to be. God really wants to come to you and help you and fill you with his Holy Spirit. He wants to deliver you. Don't run from him because down the road, it's just going to get harder and harder and more difficult. All right. Let's look at the Syrophoenician woman, which is... Let's look at the Matthew account. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, 21 through 28. I'll read it. This is a little shorter, and then we'll just... I just want to look at a few things in this account. This is another account, similar in that Jesus was going into a Gentile area, and it was a Gentile woman, a woman of Canaan, that was coming to him again. Starting with verse 21, Then Jesus went and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her, Not a word And his disciples came and besought him. What do you think they said? Oh, Lord, please have mercy on her. Her daughter's got a demon. Man, what are you doing? You're not even talking. Come on, help her. Send this Gentile yapping dog away, will you? Now she's yapping at our heels. That's basically what they said. His disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying after us. And he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. <laughs> and she said, We could all learn a lesson from what she said <laughs> because she was desperate. Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Uh, the first thing that I just feel so strongly about this uh, is Jesus did not change his mind about this woman. He knew all along what he was going to do. I do think he was probably teaching the disciples a lesson and probably drawing this woman out there was something, I believe, whether it was in his voice, whether it was in his face, just like the Samaritan woman, just like the rich young ruler, there was something in him saying to her, come on, just, just keep coming, you know. And this is the way it is in our lives sometimes. Our, the circumstances of our lives, the people in our lives maybe, God has us in situations and places that seem harsh, rough, difficult. But what he's wanting for us to do is to humble ourselves and come to him and worship him and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. At first, Jesus didn't say a word. Do you ever feel like God is silent to you? <laughs> He's not listening? I do, <laughs> quite honestly. Sometimes I feel that way. Still, Lord, where are you? Then when she came back and she pleaded with him, he said, it's not, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. That, that sounds really harsh. It's not as harsh as it sounds. The word that he uses here, there's a couple of, of words in the original language for dog, and one of them is the wild dog out in the street, and one of them is for the little pets that you have under the table, like Stephen Kathy's dog, you know? Just, just a couple little, little pets under the table. 
You love them. You love those little pets, but they're, they're not the same as the children. Now, the disciples are watching all of this, and I really, I'm pretty sure that this is a, a big point of what Jesus is doing here. This is part of the reason. He wants them to learn. They, look, they were new at this. They were very new at this and following Jesus and understanding. They, they came out of Judaism, even though not all of them were, were very religious. They weren't orthodox, but they had three or four thousand years of background of the law and uh, their culture. And they didn't understand the kingdom of God and what Jesus was going to do and what they were going to need to do, they didn't understand very well yet. And Jesus wanted to teach them something, I believe, about humbling themselves. And I've really learned a lot from the scripture myself in principle. And I pray that I'll be able to do it as well. So the disciples, I... I'm just thinking about how they were watching this. Again, James, <laughs> or the sons of thunder, <laughs> they might have said it more like, you Gentile dog, will you get out of here and leave us alone and quit yapping at our heels? You know, just, just leave us alone. I don't think Jesus said it like that at all. I think he said it in such a way as he was soliciting a response from her. There's just something about his face, his tone of voice. She just knew she was supposed to keep coming. And the disciples wouldn't have been able to say, well, that's true, Lord. <laughs> oh, that's true, I'm just a dog. I'm just a little dog. I'm not the most important one. I'm not the main one. But you know what? Even the dogs get some scraps, you know? Man, I used to feed everything I didn't like to my dog under the table, to be quite honest, when I was a kid. That dog ate vegetables. He learned to eat his vegetables, and I didn't. <laughs> But she said, truth, Lord. And all I want is some scraps. Such a lowly and humble response. And I, I, don't, I don't know that I want to talk a lot longer tonight, but I really want us to understand what Jesus said to her. I've, I've had to, to recognize this. If I had not recognized this truth in my life by reading the Bible, I don't think I would have made it. I'm just being honest. I don't think I would have made it. Jesus said, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Now, most of us, I think, when we think of great faith, you know, tell me the people in the Bible of great faith. 
You know, I'd say, well, Abraham, Paul, Daniel, the three Hebrew children. I would name a whole bunch of people. Caleb, Joshua. I don't think I would have ever thought of her. Oh, yeah. That little Syrophoenician woman. God told her, your faith is great. Now, what was that great faith exactly? And, you know, I don't know if I can do it justice, really, but uh, putting it in my own words, I would say it was the faith to humble yourself that God was wanted to bless you and he was watching you, but you needed to humble yourself and receive from him by humbling your heart. You know, it takes great faith to humble yourself in your daily life because God doesn't usually appear to us in an angelic form and tell us to do something that we don't want to do or to act in some way we don't want to act or to submit in some way that we don't want to. <clears throat> it's usually people that do that. If I had not learned to have enough faith to believe that God was working through the people and circumstances of my life, and I could humble myself in those everyday circumstances, the little ones even, if I had not learned that, I think I would have been gone and done. When you can trust Jesus, that if you humble yourself in your daily life, that God will reward you, and he'll take care of you, and he'll help you, and he'll give you his spirit for doing that. When you can do that, it'll make all the difference in the world in your life. It, it's what I was talking about a little while ago um, when, when I said, I knew the Lord spoke to me. Okay, Now, I, I, I had a choice. I, I knew the Lord had showed me something and told me something very specific, even gave me some scripture. And it happened without, you know, I wasn't trying to get anything. I was going crazy. I was losing my mind pretty much and praying, and the Lord just came and dropped it on me. So I knew God had talked to me, but when I, when I delivered it, I got slammed and humbled. Now, what was I going to do? Well, <laughs> I was learning. <laughs> okay, I was learning. And I just said inside, okay, Lord, okay. You're bigger than any of these circumstances. You're bigger than any of these people, even if some of them are wrong and making a wrong decision. You're bigger than that. And I believe you're in control of my life, and you're giving me an opportunity to humble myself, and you're going to take care of this. So I just shut up, <laughs> and I had to be very patient. But in time, 
God worked the whole thing out, and it turned out better than I could have ever expected. If I would have risen up and said, wait a minute, you know, this is what God told me. I don't have to humble myself under anybody. I heard from the Lord. It would have actually ruined everything that God was trying to do. He needed some time to work things out. <laughs> he needed some time to correct things. That simple kind of faith to humble yourself and believe, you know, the Lord said, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. I don't think that means he's going to write your name in lights. You know, I don't think that's what he's talking about. But he'll lift you up out of the, off the ground and hold you up and take care of you if you'll humble yourself in his sight. And that's what I was trying to do by the grace of God was humble myself in his sight and have faith that if I'll get down and let him take care of the situation, he will. And he'll take care of me. And the Lord proved himself to me in that way. And he's done it many, many times. Even in the littlest things like my wife. Um, <laughs> okay, Lord, <laughs> I'm just going to trust you that what's being told me, I just need to humble myself and receive it. Um, my wife is not a dominating figure. Most of you probably don't know her, but the few of you who do know that she is not a slave driver. She's a very wonderful lady. And she's wonderful enough that every now and then she just tells me the way it is in a very nice way. It's usually something simple, but you know how it is sometimes you just you're just not in the mood for somebody to tell you what to do right now. Especially, especially right before you're going to do it. <laughs> now, nobody is better at this than wives. You know? Don't forget to turn there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why is it that there's something about automobiles that always makes us angry, you know? <laughs> you, people pull out in front of you, and, you know, you get angry. I really love my wife, and we don't really fight much or anything, but sometimes she's either, you know, telling me, she often tells me how unbelievably smart I am when I'm driving and she could never ever get find her way around like I do and how did you do this and man it's amazing you know you're just like this space cadet uh, 
And then <laughs> a few minutes later, turn here, turn, you know, right before you. <laughs> She's a very, very wonderful woman, I want to tell you. So I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm just trying to give you something you can relate to and be honest about myself. You know, I just need to humble myself. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't come a time when it would be wrong for me to say, you know, honey, maybe I know where to turn. You know, the reason she does this is partly because I get in the car, I forget where I'm going. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm German, and, and I always do the same thing. You know, I, I'm a, a creature of habit. And so I just get in the car and I start going the way that I always go. But that's not where I'm going. <laughs> and so she has to kind of, she does it very politely like, um, you're remembering we're going to Angie's, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And so after some many times of me, you know, I have such a male brain, I can only do one thing at a time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am the worst multitasker ever, and she is the best. And so if she starts talking to me, I'll just end up, I'll drive to Alaska probably, <laughs> you know. Um, and I want to say, stop talking. <laughs> but I can't. I just have to humble myself and let get bossed around a little bit. I don't like it, but I don't like it because I'm I'm human. I'm a fallen human being. But you know what? God has given us. I have the most wonderful marriage. You know, it's not me. I'm not any different than anybody else. But I think it's partly because the Lord has gotten it through my head that if I'll humble myself, he'll bless me. He'll lift me up. He'll take care. If I'll stop trying to take care of my own image and my own self and my own feelings, you know, God will take care of me. And I'm telling you, we've had the most wonderful relationship. You know, when we first got married, the, the German was starting to come out in me. And I, I'm serious. I was just one of these super organized, you know, people and it wasn't that way as a teenager, so I don't know what happened, but I wanted to put lists on the walls of where everything goes and what time you do this and how you do that, and I was almost ready to do it. I was very close. I, mean, I got married when I was 19. And, you know, one of the good things about being young is you're not quite as set in your ways, and somehow God got through to my mind that I needed to humble myself and really think about my wife and not put her under a lot of pressure 
And my kid's under a lot of pressure. She was pregnant with the first one. And somehow, some way, I heard it. And I just laid down my own tendencies and ways to do things. And I do not deserve, okay? I do not deserve the relationship and the marriage that I've had. I didn't plan on saying any of this, but I, I just feel like I, sh I should. It has just been so precious to me for 40, over 46 years now. Um, and my wife is a saint. <laughs> she has to be. And we have so much fun together. <laughs> and that's why we're fundamentals. <laughs> Honestly, we have fun. We're like teenagers together because we both have learned to humble ourselves and not take it out on each other. And God has just blessed our marriage. Now, like I said the other night, if we start to get humble, we'll get proud about it. Or if we think we're starting to get humble, we'll get proud of it. But if we just humble ourselves before the Lord and don't be complicated, he will lift us up and he'll bless us and take care of us. You know, um, God has blessed us. And I'm saying that to encourage all of you, not just about those of you who are married or just got married or may will be getting married. I'm sure some of you will be getting married. Um, what makes you a good Christian is the same thing exactly that makes you have a good marriage. Okay? It's that simple. I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm not. But I'm just saying, if you will be determined to keep the word of God with your wife the same way that you do with other people who don't know what you're really like, you know, that's how we get sometimes. Well, they already know the truth about me, so, hey, I'm just going to take everything out on them. These other people, they think I'm really nice, so I, I have to, you know, keep my reputation. I can't let them think, you know, I'm not spiritual or something. God will, will bless your marriage if um, you will do the word of God with your wife just like you do with everybody else. That doesn't mean you don't have a unique relationship. That doesn't mean you can't be open and honest with each other more than anybody else. I'm not saying that. But it does mean that we should humble ourselves at times. I've watched Steve do it. That's no reflection on you, Kathy. I don't mean that. But I've watched Steve many times beautiful thing just he just gives Kathy so much place and expression and he stops to listen to her and I watch this and I admire that and um, 
this humility in every area of our life, this poverty of spirit in every area of our life is a beautiful thing. And if you will have the, the faith in your daily life to take things from God that don't go your way, to humble yourself and believe that God is sees and he will take care of it and he will lift you up. You don't have to take care of it yourself. You don't have to get back at somebody. Then the Lord can say about you that you are a person of great faith. I'd like to share a short testimony here as we close. One of my big besetting sins has always been pride. And one of the ways the Lord has helped me is by putting people in my life who aren't afraid to rebuke me. But early on, this really felt like God was just trying to make me miserable. And I remember one time specifically where I had been feeling pretty good about myself and all of a sudden someone just checked me again on my pride. And I responded like, Jesus, okay, I don't get it. Do you really just want me to be miserable? And I was actually pretty frustrated by the whole thing. But years later, I looked back on that and I realized all he was trying to do was save me from myself. He was willing to seem like he wanted to make me miserable, even though all he really wanted was to save me from my own pride. And I love him for that. Maybe it's the same for you. Maybe something in your life is really hard and painful and all that Jesus is trying to do is save you from yourself. That's it for this episode. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.